Hello and welcome to worship on this special day in the church's calendar. Not only is it Pentecost when we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit onto those early disciples and the foundation of the church, but it's also Aldersgate Sunday when we remember the way that same Holy Spirit warmed the hearts of John and Charles Wesley. The Holy Spirit is still warming hearts today. And I pray that as we enjoy this service together, you will enjoy his presence and you will learn and grow as you consider what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. We're going to begin with a great psalm of praise. Psalm 104 verses 24 to 34. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is a sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. My 
Let's pray. This prayer is ascribed to Sir Francis Drake and the imagery in it is very appropriate when you think of who wrote it. Let's pray. Disturb us, O Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves. When our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little. When we arrived safely because we sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess we've lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we've ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we've allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas where storms will show your mastery, where losing sight of land we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push into the future in strength, courage, hope and love. Amen. The Lord's Prayer Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our second reading comes from the night before Jesus was betrayed and crucified. His disciples were confused and sorrowful at what he said and couldn't envisage what life would be like without him. Yet, said Jesus, it's beneficial for you that I leave you, that I go away. Because when I do, I will be even more present through the Holy Spirit, whose work in your hearts will be powerful, enlightening and sustaining. Julia Pike reads to us from John's Gospel. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. I have told you this, so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of Truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Julia now reads to us from Acts chapter 2. After I became a Christian when I was 15, I joined a Pentecostal church, not knowing any better. And so this is a chapter which is very familiar and very blessed to me. And it'll be good to listen to it carefully and just take in exactly how God fulfilled his promise to come upon the church and equip us to take the gospel into all the world. Acts chapter 2, reading verses 1 to 21. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. 
all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men and see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and the glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, with that narrative fresh in your ears, listen to this from around 1900 years later. On the night of April the 9th, 1906, William Seymour, an African-American pastor, the son of freed slaves, and seven other men were waiting on God in Bonnie Bray Street, Los Angeles. When suddenly, as though hit by a bolt of lightning, they were knocked from their chairs to the floor, and the other seven men began to speak in tongues and shout out loud, praising God. The news quickly spread. The city was stirred. Crowds gathered. And a few days later, Seymour himself received the Holy Spirit. Services were moved outside to accommodate the crowds who came from all around. People fell down under the power of God as they approached. People were baptised in the Holy Spirit and the sick were healed and sinners received salvation. That's from a Wikipedia article about the beginnings of what's known as the Azusa Street Revival. The crowds became so great that the meetings were moved from this house in Bonnie Bray Street to a former Methodist church in Azusa Street, where the move of God continued for some years. Now here's an account 
that we'll be much more familiar with from the 24th of May 1738. In the evening I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans about a quarter before nine while he was describing the change that God works in the heart through faith in Christ. I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. I began to pray with all my might for those who had in a more especial manner despitefully used me and persecuted me. I then testified openly to all what I now first felt in my heart. That, of course, is from... John Wesley's journal. These seem like very different incidents, one very noisy, dramatic and attracting immediate intention leading to huge crowds. One quiet, personal and inward, but both had great consequences for the church. John Wesley and Charles Wesley's awakening was a significant element in a revival which spread across Britain at the end of the 18th century, sometimes known as the Great Awakening. Along with George Whitfield, John Wesley preached to thousands out of doors. And this public preaching was used by God to bring untold thousands to salvation. And of course it led to the founding of the Methodist Church. Now the Azusa Street revival is much less familiar, I guess many have not even heard of it. But it's possibly of even greater consequence. It's regarded as the birth of the Pentecostal movements of the 20th century. So many missionaries went out from Azusa Street over the next couple of years that the message had spread to more than 50 nations, including Britain. And today, Pentecostalism remains the fastest growing Christian movement in the world numbering over 500 million. Interestingly, over 20 years from Catholicism being the majority religion, if you like, in Brazil, uh, Pentecostalism became by far the most dominant and tremendous uh, changes, tremendous renewals in that country. I only mention that because it gives me an excuse to revel in the headed goal that Alison Becker scored last Sunday in Liverpool's match against West Brom. Alison Becker is a Brazilian and is a committed Christian, but that's by the way. Two distinct and different works of God, both with worldwide impact and both the unmistakable result of God at work through the person of the Holy Spirit. They have th three things in common. First, the move of God began within the church and rapidly spread outside. Second, individuals were impacted in their hearts and given new voices. And third, the Holy Spirit came upon these people, these groups, when they were actively seeking God. So let's go back to the, the origin, 
the archetype, if you like, of these moves of the Holy Spirit. And we'll see these three elements at work in the foundation of the church on the day of Pentecost. In fact, let's start just a little bit further back. As we saw in the Gospel readings, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit and the particular context for what he said to the disciples there was the fact that they would undergo persecution and that the Holy Spirit would stand by them, would be their advocate, or in the older versions it says their comforter, not in the sense of someone who lets you cry on their shoulder, but in the sense of someone who brings you strength, comfort, bringing strength, fortitude. But later on, just prior to Jesus's ascension, he refers to the Holy Spirit in another context. And it's interesting that if you look at the end of Matthew's gospel and compare it with the end of Luke's gospel, you get two completely contradictory messages. But when put together, they make perfect sense. Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. At the end of Luke, he says, wait. He says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. They were to go, but they weren't just to rush off precipitately, uh, trying to uh, carry out a mission for which they were ill-equipped. Stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So as Luke ends his gospel, we read that the disciples stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Because there's two ways of waiting. Dickens's famous character, Mr. Micawber, is renowned for his conviction that something will turn up and is perfectly ready one day to be more assertive and active when something has turned up. John Wesley was not like that. He was very aware that despite all his years of serving and following God, he didn't have a real sense of God's forgiveness. He had this nagging conviction that he still was, wasn't right with God. Rather than shrug his shoulders and wait for something to turn up, he sought God whenever he had the opportunity and it was in a Moravian meeting that the Holy Spirit brought peace to his heart. In the Azusa Street account God's dramatic descent on the small group of believers was when they were met together to pray. So both of these stories reflect what we see in the Bible. The disciples didn't just hang about waiting for God's next move. They stayed continually at the temple praising God. They waited actively, you could say. They were expectant. Now we're in a waiting time. We're waiting for the all clear from COVID. We're waiting to see who will come back to church. We're waiting to see whether we've reached those outside the church through all of these online services and whether that will have an impact. We're waiting for direction through the mission planning that's been engaged in by the churches and by the circuit. But don't just hang about. Wait actively, wait expectantly. Focus on praising God, reading the Bible, encouraging one another.
So we come to the day of Pentecost. It's blindingly significant that this event happened on this particular day. The Feast of Pentecost was held to celebrate the ingathering of the first fruits of the harvest. It was kind of the, the early Jersey Royals, if you like. It expressed thankfulness for the harvest received and hope for a really bumper crop later in the season. So on this day, the church saw its first harvest. I used to do a lot of fundraising and there was a saying in fundraising circles, low-hanging fruit. Those who are easier to reach because they're ready to respond. You could say that this first harvest of 3,000 was a bit like that. Those who heard were people who were already seeking God by coming to the feast at Jerusalem from all over the known world. Maybe there are people around us who, because of the events of the last year, are ready to listen. Let's look at what happened. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. There was a unity among the believers. No one was missing, no one was excluded. The room was filled with the sound of a violent wind. Wind and spirit in Hebrew are the same word and a mighty wind is a very common metaphor for the activity of the Holy Spirit. Then it says they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I don't want to focus particularly on speaking in tongues, although as someone who spent many years in a Pentecostal church, it's not something I find strange or disconcerting. I just want to emphasise one thing. The tongues of fire came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. This wasn't just for the apostles or just for the men or just for the church leaders. As we see in the accounts of Azusa Street and Wesley's conversion, there's an individual impact which gives a new voice to the ones who are touched by God. And it was for everyone. God can meet with you and with me in the same way that he met with Wesley and with the eight men gathered in that Los Angeles house. We don't need special training or a special calling. Just a willingness to be open to God and a desire to lay aside our uncertainties and ask him to fill us with his spirit. And when that happens, the church itself becomes a different place with a new sense of mission and possibility. You see the pattern? Individual renewal leads to church renewal and that church renewal spills out into the world. We're very good at asking ourselves the wrong questions. How often do we hear people worrying about how we can get people into church? Different music, more accessible, seeker-friendly services, social events. All of these are important to break down barriers, to build relationships, to make visitors less uncomfortable. But in the light of what we read here, it's still a bit back to front. The lessons of Azusa Street and the early days of the Methodist Church are simple. The church is where the fire kindles and grows, but it's outside in the world where it spreads. 
it starts inside and rapidly spills out. Churches could not contain Wesley's message. He preached in the streets and parks. Azusa Street was too small for the thousands who were filled with the Spirit, and they went to all corners of the world. That's just what we see in Acts 2. The coming of the Holy Spirit in the church, the wind, the flames, the strange languages being spoken by the disciples, it all spilled out onto the street, and those who heard wondered what was happening. Peter preached the first sermon, and his hearers were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? We can't possibly have that impact. Only God can do that. Jesus said in the Gospel passage in John, When he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Older translations say, He will convict the world. The Holy Spirit will do his work. What he seeks is believers who are filled with his presence and power and carry that presence into the world. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8 Jesus says to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. May we know this promise is to each one of us. May we urgently and actively wait on God to fill us. And may a renewed and revived church spill out of its buildings and into the world. In Jesus' name. Amen. And on that theme, here's a song written by William Booth, the Methodist preacher who founded the Salvation Army, which carries, carries the message of fervent prayer for revival. This was a song that was in our uh, Pentecostal hymn book. It's not in Singing the Faith. It had a wonderful old musical kind of tune, which I can't find anywhere, but this new tune written by... Uh, the Salvation Army uh, musicians is pretty good. O oh God of burning, cleansing flame, send the fire. O oh God of burning, O oh God of burning.
So let's pray and our prayers today are led by Alan White from Little Sutton Church. Our prayers of intercession. Lord, we pray for people in the world, for leaders of nations, for those with the power to influence the hearts and minds of millions. We pray particularly for the people of India and other nations suffering so much and with little resources in this pandemic. Also praying for the people of Palestine and Israel who seem unable or unwilling to tolerate each other. May the coming of your Spirit bring the fire of cleansing and the wind that renews. Lord, have mercy. Lord, we pray for people of our nation, for those who influence the minds and the wills of the young, for those who are responsible for what we see on television or read in newspapers, for those who are role models for others, and whose attitudes, values and lifestyles undermine all that is good, true and of you. May the coming of your Spirit bring the fire of cleansing and the wind that renews. Lord, have mercy. Lord, we pray for the life of our Church, for a deeper trust, a wider love and a longer-lasting commitment that our worship, witness and service may reach the heights of your throne. We pray for guidance as we seek your will for the life and mission of the Church. Give us grace and joy and wisdom that we may discern the truth. May the coming of your Spirit Bring the fire of cleansing and the wind that renews. Lord, have mercy. 
Lord, we pray for the people we know, for those we know to be in need of you and your love, for those aching for your peace, who truly desire to know more of you, for those longing for your health-giving, life-renewing touch and a life-changing grace, for those who come into our minds, we silently name them now. May the coming of your Spirit bring the fire of cleansing and the wind that renews. Lord, have mercy. We pray for ourselves and for all we must face in the coming days and months and years of our lives. For our times of aloneness, doubt and fear. For our longing to be free, really free, as we know you long for us to be. For a renewal of our hearts and minds and lives. And for a chance to learn to love ourselves. May the coming of your Spirit bring the fire of cleansing and the wind that renews. Lord, have mercy. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Lord, the world is waiting 
Equip your church to spread the love. Revive us, Lord. Revive us, Lord, as you What harvest fields are fast and wide? Revive us, Lord, the world is waiting. Equip your church to spread the Let's end with a prayer and a blessing. I was interested to discover this idea of a novena, an ancient tradition of devotional praying in Christianity, consisting of private or public prayers repeated for nine successive days or weeks. The nine days between the Feast of Ascension and Pentecost, when the disciples gathered in the upper room and devoted themselves to prayer, is often considered to be the first novena. This is what Wikipedia says anyway. It's probably a tradition that's more been kept in the Catholic Church than elsewhere. But I still think it's a beautiful prayer and one that it's worth us praying. It seems to sum up exactly what we want to pray and say at the end of this service. We ask the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, for a fresh outpouring of spiritual power and spiritual gifts for the church, the body of Jesus Christ. We ask the Holy Spirit to awaken the church and equip her to bring the men and women of this age to faith in Jesus Christ. We ask for a new Pentecost for the church a new evangelisation of the church and a new missionary age of Christianity. We also ask for the same outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the smallest cell of the church, the domestic church of the Christian family. Amen. And now may the grace of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit be with us and remain with us now and evermore. Amen.